G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is made at 3CR Radio in Melbourne. We get broadcast nationally on the community radio network and we're coming to you on your local community radio station or by podcast. The Anti-Poverty Network South Australia are having a conference on October 20-21. to We talked to Paz Fordgirione from Anti-Poverty Network SA to see the connection between poverty, attacks on social security, low wages growth and insecure work. Then, Unions ACT are rallying on October 26th, starting their Week Safe campaign. Yes, you heard it, Week Safe, not Work Safe. They say Canberra workers are being exposed to greater danger than anywhere else in Australia because Work Safe has lost its teeth. We talked to Alex White, Unions ACT Secretary. But first, some union news. Amendments to the Fair Work Act called Ensuring Integrity Legislation have been damned by Sally McManus, Australian Council of Trade Union Secretary at the Senate on September the 28th. Calling the bill extreme, Sally McManus said it attempts to bring in laws even Dyson Hayden chose not to recommend. The bill looks into disqualification from office provisions, cancellation of registration, administration of dysfunctional organisations and public interest test for amalgamations. Ralph Edwards from the CFMEU, Victorian Tasmanian Construction Division, explains what it will mean if the amendments are passed. Just mention uh, what is going to become a big political issue over the next month to eight weeks and that is the fact that the Turnbull government, three new pieces of legislation, all around amendments to the Fair Work Act, all of which they claim are based on the recommendations of the Royal Commission, uh, is all around amendments to the Fair Work Act. And the first one is called Ensuring Integrity. <laughs> right, the Ensuring Integrity uh, Amendment of the Fair Work Act 2009 is all about direct attacks on who can be a union organiser, who can't. If you have civil convictions, i.e. you went and did your job as a union organiser, you went on the job, you may not necessarily have had a stoppage, but you went on the job, you didn't give 24 hours notice, you didn't have a right of entry, that's illegal, and therefore you are not a suitable person to be a union official. The second one, called (laughs) Strengthening Trustee Arrangements, legislation aimed squarely at the industry funds, even though they are basically producing a 2.5% better result each year than the retail funds run by the banks. The federal government, the Turnbull government, have decided that they are going to introduce considerable changes, which is going to make it impossible for unions to participate in the funds that they set up and which have been working for members for well over 25 years. And the third piece of legislation the proper use of worker benefits amendment to the Fair Work Act is aimed specifically at redundancy funds. And in Victoria, that means it's aimed at Incolink 
and all of the uh, things that Incalink does, the funeral benefit, the counsellors, the training grants, all the stuff that has actually been done by the industry for the benefit of the industry and not for the benefit of the union, all those things are going to be inappropriate under the legislation. Sally McManus told the Senate in her address on September the 28th, this bill is what some very powerful employers want. These corporations already have too much power and too much influence over the government. The people who will be the victim will be working people who are already suffering with 40% of people in insecure work and the lowest wage growth in recorded history. This bill is all about double standards, McManus said. It ensures there is one set of laws for those big corporations, many who are donors to the LNP, that's the Liberal National Party, who will face little scrutiny and minimal enforcement, and another set of more onerous and harsh laws for working people and their unions. All unions are not-for-profit, member-run organisations, she said. The average union has about 18,000 members, revenue of $6 million, around 30 staff, and is largely run by unpaid volunteers from the industries that unions represents. This is very different to corporations run for the profit of their shareholders with corporate boards that pay their directors large board fees, often as much as a full-time salary. The Commonwealth Bank executive was collectively paid $50 million per year, 16.6 million customers and a total income of $23.1 billion. Yet this bill imposes harsher and more onerous obligations on unions than apply to the Commonwealth Bank, Sally McManus said. Politicians should not be able to interfere in the running of member-based organisations like unions, sports clubs or the RSL. It is un-Australian and undemocratic, Sally McManus said. In April, it was announced that 12 submarines for the Australian Navy would be built in Adelaide by the French company DCNS, who won the $50 billion contract from German and Japanese competitors. This followed the federal government announcement that Adelaide shipbuilders would start the construction of 12 offshore naval patrol vessels in 2018 before starting on a fleet of frigates in 2020. For the shipbuilding unions and their members who have argued that without these contracts staying in Australia, that the fate of shipbuilding and high-level manufacturing skills were at stake, this is good news. The federal government promises that the project will create 2,800 Australian jobs. However, with the usual slippery approach of politicians, while the government confirmed that the bulk of the submarine build will occur in Adelaide, components will come from other parts of the country and the United States. Turnbull also dodged questions about the exact percentage of the build that will take place in Australia, saying those negotiations have not been settled. So watch this space. Despite these uncertainties, October the 3rd saw the signing of a Memorandum of Understanding between Shipbuilding Unions and DCNS Australia. DCNS makes clear in the MOU 
that they see a role for unions in their workplaces and understand the importance of union delegates and officials being able to do their work without being subjected to harassment, discrimination or obstruction. The MOU also establishes a workplace council to be comprised of representatives from the ACTU, the Australian Council of Trade Unions, DCNS and the Shipbuilding Unions, the AMWU, the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union, the AWU, the Australian Workers Union, the ETU, that's the Electrical Trades Union and Professionals Australia. This council will act as an overarching forum for consultation between the various unions and DCNS AMWU Assistant National Secretary Glenn Thompson said, This MOU is another milestone in our campaign for an Australian shipbuilding industry that delivers good jobs and meets Australia's future needs. Thousands of shipbuilding workers have campaigned to secure the future of this industry. The Queensland Government's efforts to introduce industrial manslaughter into legislation have stumbled with Tim Nichols and his Liberal National Party, the LNP, refusing to support the bill. The introduction of industrial manslaughter bill into Queensland Parliament was a core promise of the Labor Government after the horrendous crushing deaths of two men at a construction site at Eagle Farm Racecourse in 2016. The CFMEU Queensland members and community members picketed outside Nichols' electoral office recently to make it clear they believed that the LMP put workers' lives second to profits. Divisional Branch Secretary Michael Ravbar said these laws will see employers who kill or badly injure workers because of their negligence held criminally responsible for their actions. The CFMEU, that is the Construction, Forestry, Mining and Energy Union, along with members of the affected families, our members and the community as a whole, have been campaigning governments for almost two decades to achieve these laws, Ravbar said. In order to change the behaviour of employers and to make the courts dish out real justice to negligent employers, these tough laws must be legislated. You're listening to Stick Together. Workers' stories and union news. New start allowance, that's $263 per week or roughly $13,500 per year, has not been raised in real terms since 1994. The base salary for a federal politician has increased by 75% in real terms since 1994 from $113,882 per year to $199,040 per year, almost $200,000. These figures are a stark reminder of the rising inequality that is becoming systemic in Australia. The anti-poverty networks across Australia are in fight-back mode. I spoke to Paz Forgione from Anti-Poverty Network SA, that's South Australia, about their upcoming conference on October the 20th to the 21st and the connection between policy and poverty. G'day Paz. Paz is from the Anti-Poverty Network South Australia. You've got a Anti-Poverty Week conference coming up, haven't you? That's right, yeah. It's on uh, Friday, October 20th and Saturday, October 
21st at uh, the Clayton Wesley Uniting Church in in Beulah Park in Adelaide. Um, this is the um, third Anti-Poverty Week conference um, that we've hosted, and they're really quite um, unique in terms of Anti-Poverty Week because they're um, they're they're explicitly political events. They're events that are looking at um, why it is that in a country as wealthy as Australia, we have one in six children and and one in seven adults um, that are living in poverty. So it's looking at the um, the policies and the systems that are um, trapping people in poverty, and also um, and again, it's quite unique for Anti Poverty Week. It's an event that is organised entirely by low income people with um, their experiences and their insights um, taking centre stage. And so both of those things, the fact that um, we're um, seriously focusing on the um, policies that are making life harder for people out of work and living in poverty and focusing on the views of of the people who are directly like affected by the issues. It's um, There are a few events in the country which I... Um, which I think are quite like it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? One of the very first uh, conversations that you ha- you've got scheduled is the dismantling of the safety net in Australia and New Zealand, this active neoliberal project of the governments to actually force people into poverty. That's right. And I think something that we try to like impress upon our members and when we talk to people about unlike what's happening in the welfare space, is that you often hear people talking about policies failing. I mean, work for the doll is a failure because it doesn't help people find work. Uh, the basics card and the cashless debit card are failures. All they do is um, um, produce more frustration and stress for people out of work. They don't actually like improve people's lives job agencies are a failure they're a waste of money you know they just add to all of the all of the frustration and stress of being out of work and i think the point to keep in mind is that actually like in a sense none of these policies are failures because it's it's actually quite quite deliberate um the goal of these policies is to add to the frustration and the stress of receiving a welfare payment, not to help um, people. Um, so when people point out, for example, that there's no evidence that that work for the doll helps people find work, um, like our response ought to be, well, that's not the point of work for the doll. The point of work for the doll is to demoralise unemployed people and to make them more desperate to go out and find work. And, of course, the more desperate uh, under unemployed people are to find work, the more downward um, pressure that puts on wages, like helps to keep wages low. And of course, that's that's the whole reason why um, why welfare payments are kept so low. And the government is actually quite open of um, quite open about this. Um, the um, social services minister, Christian um, Porter, he calls it a a um, design point of the system. Welfare payments are meant to be low. 
Yeah, yeah design that's point. His phrase. Yeah. Welfare payments are meant to be low um, so that unemployed people um, like have a extra strong incentive to go out there and find all those um, jobs which which we know aren't actually there for them to begin with. But the point is that, you know, if we had a welfare system that was comfortable and generous and fair and actually gave unemployed people options, I mean, sure, that would be great for for the health and the quality of life, um, like for unemployed people, and that would be great for the community as well. But um, from, the, um, from the point of view of the people in charge, that would, um, would be a much less desirable option and then a system where where the people at the bottom are really, really desperate um, to get off of welfare. So, like, I think that's something um, that's going to come up quite a bit in our conference, and we're really glad to, um, to have international guests for this year because um, there are really strong parallels between what's been happening in Australia and what's been happening in New Zealand and leaders on both sides of the um, Tasman turn to each other for inspiration. For example, New Zealand has their own um, version of income management, which is closely based on the basics card, which we've had here now for over 10 years. And um, several years ago, back when um, Tony Abbott was uh, um, Prime Minister, we had the uh, McClure review into the welfare system and a lot of those recommendations, uh, which... Luckily, um, um, few of them have been adopted so far, but those recommendations were actually like inspired by pretty nasty things that are happening to the New Zealand welfare system. So it's really terrific to have um, some speakers from Auckland Action Against Poverty flying over to Adelaide to join us for the conference. You can identify the problems, but you also come up with potential answers. Yeah, and I think there's actually signs of hope as well. Like there, there are quite a lot of um, nasty attacks on welfare recipients in the latest federal budget. Even though the attacks um, were in some ways subtler um, than the ones um, we got in 2014 and 2015 under Abbott and Hockey, um, they're no less real. But I think the um, the good signs is that on the uh, grassroots level there are groups of people on Centrelink payments who are um, who are mobilizing themselves and pushing back right across Australia and I think you see that when you have a look at the big range of organizations that are that are speaking at the um, conference we've got two branches of the unemployed workers union who'll be there they're the Melbourne branch and their Sydney branch we have fair go for pensioners which I'm so many um, I'm sure many of your listeners will be like aware of. We've got um, the Victorian Anti-Poverty Network and the South East Queensland Anti-Poverty Network, which we're quite delighted to have over. So I think we're seeing that that although none of these organisations are by are by any means massive, but there is a real push um, to to organise ourselves and um, and. Um, to challenge what's happening. And I actually think there's been a bit of a shift in public opinion as well. I think a lot of the media narrative is there to try to convince us that um, 
that everyone hates people on Centrelink payments that were fighting a lost cause. Um, but actually, I think there's a lot of uh, support out there for people on Centrelink who are living in poverty and facing increasingly more strict and absurd obligations. And I think the evidence of that is that, unlike a lot of the federal government's um, most savage attacks have actually been blocked. But the fact that, like a lot of the proposals from that 2014 budget from Abbott and Hockey, the fact that, like a lot of those proposals, um, never passed the parliament, despite, um, like despite Abbott trying to ram them through over and over again for most of 2014 and much of 2015. I think that's a really good sign. There's actually a significant segment of the of the community who recognise that it's hard being out of work. There most definitely are not enough jobs to go around and New Start is definitely not a livable income. So there's um, and also, there's some good signs. And also I think that uh, if New Start is the uh, benchmark for income, then workers on low pay need to look out as well. well that's right. Uh, um, there's a direct connection here, which is that if we keep New Start low, um, it puts downward pressure on wages. A raise them to New Start would actually make life easier, not only for unemployed people, but for um, um, like for low-income workers and for all workers in general. People need a safety net they can rely on. Um, um, the world of work has become uh, um, like increasingly like insecure, and I think because of the state of the housing market, like a lot of people who are um, reasonably comfortable in work would find that if they um, um, lost their job, it wouldn't take um, too long for things um, to start to unravel when um, very few people can um, can maintain mortgage payments on New Start. And, and uh, for those who are renting, it's almost impossible um, to find anything affordable. So like, I think we're getting people um, who are in work to make that connection that that every time you chip away at Centrelink, it's not only an attack on the people who are currently um, relying on Centrelink, it's also it's also an it's also an attack on the people who might um, find themselves um, relying on Centrelink in the future because they might be working at the moment, but they could be laid off or they're or their company goes out of business or they have to leave the workforce for a few years and to look after their parents or look after their kids or like a whole bunch of things mean that totally unexpectedly I'm now in a, you're now in a situation where you're surviving on, you know, $269 a week if you're on New Start or not that much more if it's another payment. That was Paz Foggione from the Anti-Poverty Network South Australia. For more information about their upcoming conference, go to antipovertynetworksa.org. Unions ACT are angry about the demoting of safety by the ACT government with workers paying dearly for their government's lack of concern for their welfare. 
I spoke to Union's ACT Secretary, Alex White. The ACT uh, over the last few years has become uh, the second most dangerous jurisdiction in Australia to work after Queensland, but also for a range of industries including construction, retail, hospitality, fast food, uh, transport, arts, administration, education, health, social uh, services. Canberra is the least safe, the most dangerous to work in in Australia and has become so over the last few years. We also know that uh, since the merger of WorkSafe into Access Canberra, the number of work safety inspections has decreased and also the number of compliance activities, uh, infringement notices, prosecutions has collapsed, absolutely collapsed. And we know that last year there were no prosecutions for breaches of the workplace safety law at all. There have been two fatalities in the ACT, workplace fatalities, and there are over 3,500 serious injuries in ACT workplaces every year, and that's just the private sector, so it doesn't include the public sector. Well, we are campaigning to have WorkSafe removed from Access Canberra. We believe that the main structural impediment to safe workplaces is a weakened WorkSafe, and it's been weakened because it's been merged into Access Canberra. To give you an idea, previously we had a work safety commissioner that was in charge of WorkSafe, and now the head of Access Canberra is the regulator under the Act. So the Instead of having the Work Safety Commissioner in charge of enforcing the Act and being the regulator, we actually have Head of Access Canberra being the regulator. And the Work Safety Commissioner is not even second in charge. He answers to the Chief Operating Officer of Access Canberra, who is the Racing and Gaming Commissioner. So the WorkSafe is, in, is run by someone who is the third in charge after the CEO of Access Canberra, who is in charge of dog registration, motorboat registration, and then the Racing and Gaming Commissioner, and then the Work Safety Commissioner. And so it's only because we unions have started to ask questions, why are uh, accidents increasing? Why is the ACT become the second least safe jurisdiction? There's so many of Canberra's industries and uh, sectors, the most dangerous or the second most dangerous place to work, and as a result, we've discovered that... All these changes have been made without anyone being told or anyone being advised of what the consequences were. We've just had, you should, uh, and your listeners should know, we've just had a scaffolding audit undertaken by WorkSafe ACT. And the scaffolding audit uncovered that, uh, this is in the construction sector, four out of five scaffolding companies were not compliant with work safety laws or standards. Oh, my God. Four out of five. That's really now, worrying. The, But the recommendations from WorkSafe is to engage and educate industry on how to be compliant with the law. Access Canberra, as a result of the merger, has imposed this new compliance framework onto WorkSafe that says that 70% of the inspector's time is in education of employers, 20% engagement, and only 10% is compliance and enforcement. That's it for this edition of Stick Together. Stick Together is made at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and we're broadcast on your community radio network. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.